this is Trevor Jackson. Welcome to Tomorrow is Mine. On our last podcast, we featured part one of the extraordinary life of Manu Kala, who grew up never far from danger or violence in Kashmir. Before his politicisation as an ambitious university student in India, and then a spur-of-the-moment decision to leave it all behind to study in Australia. In this episode, we pick up the story as Manu arrives on the Gold Coast to study communications and public relations at Griffith University. Then follow his path as Manu takes on all sorts of odd jobs, from security guard to radio talk show host, before a chance opportunity paved the way for his entrepreneurial talent to flourish. Today, Manu holds executive roles in numerous businesses, including MedLab Pathology, SkinO2, and COVAX, the company he established that is now contracted by Australian governments to devise logistical solutions during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been an extraordinary rise to success for you. You arrived here in 2009, as you said. Take me on that journey. Where did that go? So you, you graduate from Griffith, and then do you start working in a media career, or what do you do? <laughs> that was a classic one, what I did. I, uh, while I was studying, my sec- I started my second master's, and uh, one of my uh, professors, uh, she said to me, uh, I think, Manu, journalism is fine. You want to stay in this country? I said, yes. She goes, okay, well, there's not a lot of journalists out there in this country, like in India. I'm like, well, I figured that out now. She goes, what I think you'd be great at is PR, is public relation. And she goes, you'll be amazing at that. So I did my second master's in media and PR from Griffith University as well. While I was doing that, I started, it took me one year to basically start thinking out of box from Australian point of view. I've been doing that all my life back at home, but it took me to change myself that I've got to start from scratch, do my university, know the culture, find a part-time job, working in a petrol station, working in security guard. And I said, no, this is not it. I've got to do something else now. It's great. I'm settled here now. I'm, I'm not leaving here. So I started my radio show <laughs> in Brisbane, uh, a current affairs show, which I called it, called Australia on Air with Manu. Australia on Air with Manu and a current <laughs> affairs radio show. I love this. <laughs> in that show, it was quite simple formula. I, d- I did play some song in the middle to keep people busy. But my idea was for people to call me, tell me what's going on. It was the same guy back in India, in the political guy, basically tell, okay, what's your problem? I'll solve it. That used to happen. So I started that again saying, okay, I'm live on radio and I'll give you an opportunity to call and tell me what exactly is going in the Indian community. If you're doing a job, you're not happy. If you're having a relationship, you're not happy. Your immigration not happy. I'll find you those answers from immigration lawyers, domestic violence, uh, students, universities, jobs, anything. You throw at me and I'll find an answer. So you became a talkback host. <coughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. That show went crazy. I was getting paid $1,000 per Saturday for one hour. Really? That's wow. what I got paid. The sponsorship was crazy. Wow. And uh, I did it for a while. So I'll work in a daytime during my university. And on Saturday, after I finish my shift at a petrol station, I'll go to the studio and I'll sit there for one hour. And I talk rubbish, <laughs> and I get paid thousand dollars. It was it was changing lives a lot of people because I, I remember one incident in that radio show that I convinced the entire staff of few Indian restaurants while I was talking to leave. They were getting 
uh, underpaid. I hated people getting underpaid. I still, like, if you look in my company, the highest pay in any pathology company in Australia, probably I'll pay. Uh, even my new company, COVAX, I, I just pay people a lot. I want to change their life. Like, how much bloody money I can make? This is a threshold. But I convinced the entire team of one, and, and it happens to be that that person was actually advertising with the radio show, so that didn't go well with the owner. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He was a sponsor. Talk about shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> That's it. But um, they were abusing these international students, paying them like $8 an hour, giving them oh, $50 geez. a shift. And I hated that. So I basically said what I had to say in that half an hour, and they all quit. Before I did that, I knew it was going to happen. That particular radio was only tuned to a frequency. So I gifted a, trans- like a transmission radio to that owner of, that, of the restaurant, and I told the person who was my contact to keep playing that because it wasn't a normal FM. They said special frequency, only a few that you can pick it up. I think 1701 or something like that. All oh, right, yeah. Because it was like a community station. It was down Community station, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I knew I'm going to do this. So I made sure the radio was playing. That particular staff who was working with me played on a full volume. And, and all the staff were packed. here. Yeah. The stu- the, all the students were working there, cooking, preparing for dinner in the, in the busy weekend Saturday night. And they all quit. Wow. He had no staff that day. The guy didn't like me. <laughs> I don't I think he still why. likes me. So that radio show became very, very popular. And then the Brisbane floods happened. Oh, uh, yeah, floods 2010, happened. 2011. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So that just got wiped out. The radio station was basically inundated and stuff. And because of the radio show, people started knowing me in Brisbane and Gold Coast. And then that was my first gig. You built yourself a profile very quickly. That's it. That's yeah. it. So people yeah. started taking me seriously. And when they asked for advertisement in that show, I did not want to play an ad in the show. I did not want to play a scripted ad in between my talks or between songs. I said, I'll talk about your business. For you to get me to talk about your business is costing more than just playing a clip because you'll get the results. Well, you're getting an endorsement from the host of the show, of course. So uh-huh. yes, uh, that's uh-huh. active advertising. Yes. That's it. So yeah. I did that. And they yeah. were paying me, as I said. It was sold out for weeks and weeks. At my, I just pulled up a figure from the, from the sky. It's a thousand dollars for sure. And you were still working at the service station as well. Why yeah. would you do that when you can make a thousand dollars for a one-hour radio show? Oh, I, I, my spending thing is quite high. Ah, <laughs> I see. So, so suddenly you were enjoying the luxurious offerings of life on the Gold Coast. Absolutely. After the radio station uh, was washed away in the floods of 2010, 2011, over that summer, that fateful summer, what happened then? The radio show stopped, the other jobs still started, and then I graduated from my second master's. In public relations. Yeah. In PR. And again... This feeling of comfort zone which I was talking to you, it happened in convention center. I was in the convention center with my graduation. That was one of the turning points in my life. And I said, if I keep doing these jobs and making two, $3,000 a month, in fact, because I knew it was my graduation, so I'm going to have a few drinks. So the guy who was dropping me in the cab, because I took a cab, I don't want to drive. I said to him, how long have you been here? And he said, 15 years. And I just thought, 15 years, he's still driving a cab. Which is, no offense, it's amazing. Mm. But because I had so much education behind me, and I thought, I don't want to be that story that I'm working in a service station and somebody rocks up and says, hey, how many days have you been in this country? And I said, 15. And I'm still doing that. 
what happened to my theory of not living in the comfort zone? I'm going to get comfortable there. So I finished my graduation ceremony for the second master's. I was working two jobs at that time. I was doing security and I was working in service station. So I called both of them and I said I quit. Not a good decision. With no other plan at the moment. No other you, plan. Just, you decide this isn't right. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I just thought that living in a comfort zone is going to kill me. It's okay. just going to put a threshold on my potential mm. and I'm just going to be doing the same thing. And thanks to that, the taxi driver who dropped me there because it was just all connecting in my head. So what happened? You quit your jobs? I now quit what? my job. And then um, I went back to square one, started looking for some other job, which I paid. Still did not get the idea that I should start doing business. Anyhow, met a friend who was a doctor, then came up with a new concept of care plans, employed a few nurses, and started doing care plans in medical centers. There's a lot of long story behind that. But, but hang on. Yeah. <laughs> just graduated with a master's in public relations and communications, but this is not journalism. This is not public relations. Yeah. You're talking care plans in the health sector. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You're, you're, you've got a bachelor's degree in physiotherapy, but yeah. that doesn't I met qualify someone, you for that either. Yeah, who told me about the care plans and stuff. And then, yeah, it was very, very accidental. In nutshell, so what happened? I started the business, the Department of Health, the Medicare local and um, other places, doing another job, uh, electronic health records. So they, they were running the PCEHR, which is the personally controlled electronic health records, which everybody, all of us has now. Mm-hmm. So they employed me there as a project officer to run that project. So I got that job. I lasted six months. Thank you very much. Six months time, I was probably, they, were, they were probably fired me, but I resigned. I think I was on the brink of getting fired from that job. Why? I knew that. I just didn't... Uh, I work very closely with a lot of those people now. So the Department of Health and everybody, they do an amazing job. But <laughs> <laughs> I can't be confined to a place where somebody cuts my wing and puts... Like, I'm not that kind of person. You need a certain personality. The issue wasn't them. The issue was me. That I could not be put in a situation. And me getting out of the cocoon of not doing business... That was the thing that I was a deep down entrepreneur. You just didn't but know. I didn't yet. come out of my shell. I just didn't knew I was the one. It's the taking the risk. I was challenging my comfort zone, but I was challenging it with comfort zone with jobs. I wasn't challenging it with businesses. And then when I resigned for, from that job, I met a guy who basically told me, and this is the this is the story probably every single doctor knows now who uses my services, that. I met a guy, he said to me that if you can get me a couple of histology samples, histologies like your skin cancer, mm. uh, samples from medical centers, because I ran that electronic health records and I saw a lot of doctors and I made a lot of relationship. And that was the biggest change in medical history that having that electronic health records. And I was helping doctors to change. And that's the biggest space in a doctor world. Like doctors don't want to change things. They've been taught a certain setup and they, they, they learn. They don't change, they adapt, but they don't change. That's how the mentality works. But I was part of the change mentality in GP world, especially, when they had to adapt to this new electronic health record version to upload the summaries and clean their data and patient files, which was all over the place before that. I uh, used the secure message services, delivery systems, medical objects, Argus, and all this stuff. It was like an IT and a change combined all the stuff. I loved, actually, the whole project, but I did not love the way it was going. It's, you have no IT qualifications? No, I didn't. That, <laughs> But I was, I was helping doctors to change and I was literally going into their, like into their, um, it was a lot of uploading, uploading the CDs and 
and connecting to the servers. But I think, um, hey, I'm an Indian, you know, the cricket and IT, that's easy. <laughs> Now you're talking stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ooh, that's okay. We can adapt to that. So six months after that, I, I resigned because I wanted to have an item number 23E in the GP world, basically to encourage all the doctors to upload the health summary of a patient to this, to this record to give them some incentives of recording that. And the Department of Health didn't like it. The Medicare locals did, and they're like, well, nah. And they took the, I had my very Bollywood style. I had my resignation in one hand and a project plan in the other hand. Uh, the CEO was way cleverer than me, and he took both <laughs> because <laughs> I developed the project plan while they were paying me. So he's like, thank you very much. That's us. Of course, uh, intellectual okay. property. Yeah, yeah, I know. You were our employee while you developed <laughs> that, so that's ours, yeah. <laughs> I learned that that day. So I resigned. Well, I must say I resigned just to feel good on my ego. I did resign, but I think I would have lasted another couple of months or they would have fired me. Uh, I didn't listen to the instructions. I didn't feel the need of this big white elephant to be eaten slowly. I wanted to finish the whole project in like I two days. I love them. They work very closely with me. So I've got a good relationship with them now and they know the story. And that's where I started picking up samples. And they, I, I love the fact there were a few doctors and there are a few people in their life and they know who they are. They helped me initially to giving those samples to me. And I said, just give me the histology samples and I get them reported by the renowned pathologists and I'm going to make some money out of it. So I developed that business from nothing to a $2 million turnover in six months. Six months? Yeah, six from months. From scratch? You from started scratch. your own business? Yeah, so scratch. pathology? Yeah, all I did was knocked every single door. So even right now, if you go to any general practice on the Gold Coast and you take my name, they would know me. One form or other, but because I have knocked so many doors, picked up so many samples made a genuine relationship with so many doctors. Yes. And I love the fact that I have got some amazing friends now who are doctors and they support me day in, day out. Because of that. Because of that door knocking, making those relationships, going out there, just being every single day. Right. I have a habit of from long time, every single day, whether I have a job, whether I have work to do, I get up in the morning, I get ready and I get out of the house. I can't sit in the house and I don't know the definition of a day off. Still day. A restless spirit, I get that. So in the pathology space, no one was doing that at this time. That's, uh, I'm taking, well, I'm guessing <laughs> this is the case or not. <laughs> this is the classic thing. I remember this QML, the CEO of QML once told me that I was, I was on the agenda of their meeting once when I started picking up these samples and he struck my name off. He said, ah, uh, no need. Why were you discussing some random guy picking random samples on the Gold Coast? It has costed them... $35 million. <laughs> he should have employed yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> he, should uh. have, he should have just employed me and clipped my wings. But like, I love the team now. I'm, I have a lot of dinners with him. But um, that's where I started. And then I built that histology business, used multiple companies and start making a living out of myself. The guy who gave me that opportunity, I'm still good friends with him. And I still go out of my way to do things for him because I do not forget... If anybody helps me in, in my career, even on the night of 28th of February 2009, one of my good friends who bailed me out from Parkwood, I've been always for, for him all the time. Whatever he requires, I'm there. Because you do not forget who helped you in the journey, regardless of how big you become. And uh, the doctors who helped me, and, and they know who they are, even, even if they need something to be moved to their house, I'm there to assist them in doing anything. Because that's... That's where I started without them. So if you're doing business, 
there's no such thing called self-made. People live in this bubble saying that they are self-made. Self-made millionaires or whatever. You cannot be self-made. You're just not acknowledging the people who basically supported you. And you yeah, cannot you on your way. Yeah. If it's a crypto billionaire, while you thank to the guy who bloody made the crypto, there's no such... People brag about this thing. Yeah. I'm a self-made, I'm a self-made. Because people told me, oh, you're a self-made. They think just because my dad didn't give me the money, I'm self-made. No, I'm definitely not self-made. I am who I am because of these so many people along the journey have trusted me and shown that confidence in me and said, okay, we'll give you a go. And I owe them for my life. If they wouldn't have done that, there's no way in this world I would have done what I've done. And it's keep happening every single day now. Like I'm 36, 37, so the journey is still on. And it's a long way to go. I'm just, start, I'm just getting started. It's an extraordinary achievement. So your pathology business takes off, goes crazy, and you're doing very well. And then you diversify, a pandemic, global pandemic comes out, and then you develop this company, Kovax. Yeah. At what point do you decide, I've got to do something here? Do you say this is an opportunity or is it more there's a need here that yeah. has to be met and I see where this needs to be? So the answer to that is like, okay, common sense. Common sense is not common anymore. And I can tell you that. So before, before this happened, I remember, because in my pathology business, I was doing really well. I was connecting a lot of dots, employing people, which is one of my addictions. I like employing more and more people. I just love it. it it's, it's a thing. I think I'm being selfish in that because when I see that because of what I do, even yesterday, I was so amazing. Like I was watching the Seven News last night and they were covering my site in Caloundra. And so I'm thinking, and I was telling my wife last night, I said, it feels so good. It's a feeling like we do a lot of things to just to feel good. And it was a good feeling when I see a, heli- a Channel 7 helicopter hovering around Caloundra Shopping Center filming my site. I can see my staff working there. And, and this I is think, because people are getting tested because there's been an outbreak from the Victorians right. who've gone to the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. That's right. And I'm thinking, I made that call. Like it feels sometimes amazing that... You made this happen. That I this made is, this happen. This is there because you made a decision. Yeah. yeah. And to be in that position, I'm blessed. I don't take that for granted. Because I could have been on the other side of the spectrum doing all this stuff, not making a decision. And a lot of these, uh, the, lo- lot of these thoughts just sitting with me and not able to express myself that I have an idea. To be in a position where you can express your ideas and you can test your ideas, it's an amazing place to be in, in your life. So I'm thankful for whoever God or whoever it is to put me in that position that I can test my ideas. Because there are a lot of people out there and I can tell you they are so smart, they're so intelligent, but they've never been given an opportunity or they have never put themselves in a situation where they can test their ideas. Uh, One of my good friends, like going backwards to 2019, one of the doctors who saw me growing my pathology company, he said to me that he's got a skincare company called Skin02 if you want to come and have a look at it uh, and see if you can grow it. Long story short, we did grow it. We had a Campro rollout. Campro, like I know the owners of Campro very well. So my network is worth everything to me. I don't make acquaintances. I make deep relationships, not because I will use them somewhere. I think life is too short. We're all going to die very soon. Somebody's going to live 80, some 50, some 60. I don't know. Coming out of the studio, you hit by a car, you're dead. So whatever you do... During that time, you build those relationship has to be real. If it's fake, it's very short-lived. So 
you have to have this deep relationship with no intentions of using them. It can't be fair because I'm a country like I come from the mountains and I'm a I'm a simple guy. I don't know a lot of these corporate stuff. I just make relationships, and it just helps me a lot of ways. So I rolled out the project, the cosmetic, into in several places. I went with um, trade mission to India. I was very proud of that. That I was the I was pretty much only Indian going to India representing Australia with the Honorable Simon Birmingham in a trade mission to India. And it was so amazing to see that, like, my parents were quite proud of me that... I bet they were. I've gone back to a country where I come from, representing the country I live in. It was an amazing feeling. Is very, it like very amazing um, feeling. selling ice back to the Eskimos? Is it that kind of thing? <laughs> I can do that, <laughs> trust me. So that happened, and then I took the company, and I took it to the next level, then when then I went to Dubai with City of Gold Coast with Arab Health, they took me very. They, they took me there. We went there. We had a stand there, and we launched. And then I met this amazing guy, the founder of Imar Group, and he said to me, Manu, that if you know how to do business, you can just do any business. You need to confine yourself to the business, which I was already doing, but I wasn't putting in perspective that I was running a headless truck, doing so many businesses, starting a few things. So, cut short, came back, hand sanitizers made us a good money. I came up with an idea to do that. Before the pandemic? Just before the pandemic. You Seven just years. had a hunch that maybe hand sanitizer might be a thing to do at this point yeah. in time? Really? No, no, I, because I observe things all the time. So I was in, in Arab Health in Dubai, and there was a talk that there is some co- one company, because Wuhan is a, like a, is a mecca of manufacturers and all the stuff. You know, there's a lot of medical supply companies and stuff, and they were there in Arab Health. And they just said, the Wuhan has got this outbreak of coronavirus happening there, and there is a company here. And I remember is a, a pharmacy group there, and I was standing with the owner of the pharmacy group, the Life Pharmacy, one of the major pharmacy groups in, in Dubai. And he gave me the hand sanitizer because he thought, oh, maybe the virus is going there. They were giving it for free to their customers, like a bottle of water or hand sanitizer, because whenever I travel, I use hand sanitizer for years. Yes, It's just a thing I have in my in my. So I said to my business partner, Skinner, too, and I said, bloody hell, we're going to make hand sanitizers and we're going to give it for free to our customers. And she said, hmm, if we can, let's see when we get back. By the time I got back, it was a thing. It was a thing. But you'd already made the decision. You I already had made it. And yeah. it was hands, making hand sanitizer an easy thing. We got featured in everywhere, like news and everywhere <laughs> that a cosmetic company has changed. And my business partner Alison Atia, she is an amazing female entrepreneur. She is absolutely amazing how she thinks and how she can come up with something so faster. So we just sat down and I said, hey, let's do it. Sign a deal with Kemper Pharmacy. <laughs> I called Stephen. I'm like, okay, I've got something here. He's like, yeah, bring it on. We need it. And I employed a lot of Indian students for packing, trained them, so making sure they're following the rules because they're dealing with the highly inflammable stuff. And I made hand sanitizers. So that went well, and lockdown happened, and this is where the COVAX started. I know we're running time. I can talk pretty much all day. I, can tell <laughs> okay, you. I know. That's okay. <laughs> so the COVAX, so I was watching Narcos. Pandemic started. My pathology company was really bad, really, really bad in 2020, March, April, May. March, April especially. Just business. To, just business was dead. Yeah, I thought it was all done. I thought yeah. it was all gone. I made really? some, you thought it was over? I thought it was over. I thought uh, we got to shut the whole thing fire people. There was no testing at that time. Of course, there was no yeah. job keeper, job seeker. And I, even now I, when I go to parliament, I've got a very good relationship with the whole team and cabinet 
in Canberra, and I thank them for the right decisions in Australia we have made, which has saved lives and livelihoods. And I couldn't speak highly of them. And state government has done their bits as well, but federal government has done an amazing job, especially Minister Hunt and his team. I was watching Narcos in the lockdown, sitting at the park, thinking of, oh, shivers, this is all done. And I had this thing, the vaccine is going to come. And um, I see the, how these, the mafia of, of Mexico and uh, Colombia, they move drugs. And it's a logistic nightmare to do that. And they still do it seamlessly. So I called one of my good friends, Dr. Gupta in, in Brisbane, and I said, if they can move drugs, we can move vaccine. And he goes, oh, you're coming up with something else, aren't you? I'm like, yep. I said, why don't we put companies together and move vaccine? Vaccine is going to come soon. He goes, what are you thinking? I said, look, I use Qantas Freight every day, three times a day. Pay them almost a million dollars a year to do the job. And I said, if I can get Qantas, I can get a trucking company. I can get Aussie Post. I can get all these companies mixed up and put a consortium together. And we can just ask the federal government, I've got a good relationship with the federal government, and say, give us a tender to move the vaccine and we can just move it. Because no other company has got the logistics to do that at the moment. And I made the friend circle who basically don't take my ideas lightly and he's like, oh, let's do it. Great. And then the funny part is, and Mark Mazurek and Lindsay Fox know this story, I was watching Channel 7 and uh, uh, one of the uh, Lindsay Fox son, he was in Palm Beach and this Channel 7 was chasing him. He had no t-shirt, he just gone to the beach. And how can you come from Melbourne? And he's like, I drove my truck back. He's like, oh, you're a billion dollar empire. And so that was sitting in my head, Lin Fox. So I said to Anuj, I'm like, you know what, Lin Fox. It came from the news thing, from that journalist chasing, I think it was Peter, in Palm Beach, yeah. <laughs> semi-naked, running on the beach, <laughs> trying to run back to his apartment. And because suddenly the like, idea occurs to you, Lin Fox, that's who we need. Yeah. That's it, Lin yeah. Fox truck, Qantas, I've got it. I've got the trucks and I've got planes. Oh, geez, yeah. And now I've got like this cartel <laughs> to, to move. You want to put it in drug, <laughs> drug dealer it. terms, yeah. Yeah, I've got this move to, to, to move it. And then uh, Lin Fox is blessed to have the leadership they have in there, the Mark Miserick, amazing guys. We got in touch with him. He's a CEO there. Absolutely brilliant leader in the country, I can tell you that. He took the whole idea on board and we founded COVAX Australia. He took it from there. He took the whole journey from there. He got the tender to move the vaccine, which is going to be Australia's biggest logistic tender in the history of Australia. Jeez. Which came from my couch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they would have got it anyways. So COVAX is basically rolling out the vaccines across Australia? No, so Lin Fox is. Do we yeah. put the, the, we but, uh, but under the umbrella of your company, that's come from COVAX? N- no. Oh. So it, because the, the federal government wanted the trucking company or the logistic company to put the tender, so we all agreed that we'll put under the Lin Fox banner. We were just the coming of the ID and initially instigating the whole thing in the beginning, uh, and then we left it for Mark Mazurek to basically run with it. He did it. He did an amazing job. And then when, once we're doing this thing, because we're doing the pandemic management, in fact, the logo of my company is designed by Lin Fox. <laughs> and it, it has a lot of meaning in COVAX. So now the COVAX Australia is basically a company which, which is a pandemic management. We come up with the ideas of how to manage a pandemic. We share those ideas with a lot of these ideas are confidential. We share those ideas with federal and state governments. We work with them on a weekly basis, predominantly Dr. Gupta and myself, on a weekly meetings we have. We've traveled to Canberra for a lot of these projects. 
and basically then we put the tender for the vaccine implementation. So we are one of the service providers for Queensland Health now for vaccine. I came up with an idea of drive-through clinics. So that was the first idea I came up with in my pathology to sit in the car, get tested. Uh, again, when I was in Dubai, I just saw these cars lined up for something and I just put two and two together and Albert Waterways was the first one to start and then the other pathology companies also started. So that was the first drive-through clinic at Albert Waterways? Albert Waterways. On the Gold Coast. Yeah, because I used to do the community functions there. Oh, the community centre there, yeah. Community centre yeah, there, yeah. yeah. Right. So what we do right now, in my pathology company, obviously, we've got 102 centres now in my pathology, employing around 300-something people. And the idea is to grow the company to a, to, to a sustainable level. I don't want to take over the world. That's never be the intention. You just nibble on a bigger, bigger project, give a good service to the community, employ more people, because that's an amazing feeling, I can tell you that. When you see someone going back home, paying their bills for their... You know, you become part of their story. And the more people you become part of their story it's such an amazing feeling it, it's a sense of fulfillment that somebody's school fees is getting paid because of the decision i make somebody's getting fed tonight because of the decision i made and they earned it and without them i won't be able to feed my family as well so they become part of my story that i can afford what i can afford because of what they do and it becomes like a company and that's the company i want to run and build where it's people are more important than the project so what i did not many companies that are doing that it's a very beautiful philosophy I mean, mm. Mm, mm. So what I did, which was a game-changing in Australian history, is when the pathology was down in March 2020, I took myself the 50% cut on my wages, I gave, and, and we did it collaboratively with the whole team, but then I did something very naughty. <laughs> which <laughs> I was? cut down the rents of every single collection centre in Queensland into half. It didn't go that well. <laughs> but what I'm saying, I chose people who were business i did not fire a single person in the entire company and i chose to save the human resource and cut the rents which we pay in the pathology world to gp practices we pay a decent rent that's a market rent we pay to just to normalize that rent for three months and not fire people it actually worked in my favor a lot of the gp practices individual one of the corporate ones they actually loved the fact that i did not fire people and I gave importance to people then, then just the company and making that business decision of, hey, let me sack 20 staff, save money, and put, keep paying the doctor's rent. Because doctors' half rent would have still survived their business, but 20 jobs, 20 families, no, bad decision. So my gut said, don't do that. So I made that call. I feel good about it. I feel actually proud about it. I lost a few centers, and I feel sad about those people who actually went to go go away from us because of that decision, but that's who they are. I still respect them and love them because they trusted me at one stage. I knew that I'm going to lose a few centers. I lost five, six centers because of that decision. I put on 30 more centers. Jeez. Because of that decision, because doctors just loved it. Extraordinary. Yeah. So that's my philosophy in, in doing business. Finding solutions to the problems and what I've decided now that since pandemic has taught me, I'm not chasing small solutions or small problems. I want to solve problems which are bigger, global, which are not confined to a small suburb because the bigger the problem you solve, in fact, you make bigger money in that as well. So there's a financial component in that if I'm solving a global problem. Imagine if I end up solving a water problem in the world. I don't have to worry about money. And this is the question one day I was in my sports car in Bunnings. I had to buy something, so I just stopped. And the guy came out 
And he goes to me, oh, I loved your car. How did you buy that? And I said to him, well, you can buy that as well. And uh, you just need to solve bigger problems. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I just came to buy something at Bunnings. I spent $400. You solved my problem. The company will pay you $40 maximum of that problem. The bigger the problem, the bigger the solution, the bigger the dollar value. And I think that's the change needs to happen in entrepreneurs. A lot of people are doing that on the world. And I'm learning a lot from the guys from US and UK. They're trying to solve bigger problems. They're not confined in small problems. And that's where my focus is right now. Where I'm heading towards my career is the businesses which I want to start, they have to be global. They have to be a turnaround of trillion dollars in the industry. Because you only nibble in an industry. You can never control an industry, regardless of what industry you are, whoever you are. You will have competition. And if it's not an innovative idea, a new idea, then if you're going tapping into an existing industry, then go bigger. Think mm. bigger. Because this day has got only enough time and your brain is a, has a capacity of finding solutions for those problems. It doesn't matter how small or bigger they are. Do you see yourself as an accidental entrepreneur? I think I see myself as a, a born entrepreneur in the living in a shell and being distracted by the world of terrorism, crime, just confined there. And when I came to Gold Coast, and that's why I love this city, it gave me the opportunity to take that junk out of my head and free that space to really think who I am and let me do what I'm really good at. Before we sat down to have this conversation, you showed me some footage of what your day was like yesterday. <laughs> you drove your fabulous McLaren sports car to a helicopter, waiting helicopter. You get in the helicopter, you fly to the Sunshine Coast to see that the COVAX drive through clinic is established there to help with this problem of the hotspot that we've got in this part of Queensland at the moment. And I think, wow, that's just such an extraordinary life. You talked about how surreal things were when you were about to jump on that plane and leave India and come here to the Gold Coast with nothing in your pocket, well, $480 in your pocket. <laughs> but how surreal is it when you look at yourself and what you're doing now Yeah, and you think about the political fighter from the, the, the crime-laden streets of India and those, those very humble beginnings. Do you have to pinch yourself and say, wow, is this really me? Was that really who I was, the guy that was running away from shrapnel or like, you know, the shrapnel fire that I'm carrying in my body or the yeah. bomb that was going off and people running in the other direction? Can I, you see that in yourself? Does it feel like you're still the same person? I am the same person, that's for sure. Nothing has changed in my personality. I'm just busy. I still get back to all my friends and talk to them and, and to be to be real. But yesterday was, again, this mentality of finding the solutions and annoying people. So this is what happened yesterday. I actually thought because I, I, I knew that I set up the whole drive through clinic in Caloundra. I don't need to be there. And then I decided to take my car to go to Mount Tambourine. When I mentioned to you before about spit, I'm dealing with some community issue right now, so I needed to free up my space in my brain because I've got a vaccine task ahead of me. I've got this Calandra outbreak happening. We might have more cases in Queensland. And there's a real thing to be done. And I needed some space to clear my space by myself. So either I go to Spit or go to Mount Tambourine as well. So that's the other place I go to. So I went to Mount Tambourine where I ride my, my bike usually or the weekend, my Harley Davidson. Which I was going to say, <laughs> it's not a Royal Enfield bullet, is it? Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it's the Royal Enfield of Australia, is the Harley <laughs> Davidson. And I go to, I was there, and then the centre management lady said, oh, 
we've given you the space, but other companies are also approaching us with this space and saying that, can they utilize it because they're local here? And like just your competition trying to pinch your business. And again, me being me, I said, uh, all right, I'll come and see you there. And she goes, well, you, where you, the Gold Coast at the moment, aren't you? I said, look, I'm not going to come there. I'm, okay, what do you do? I said, give me five minutes. So I make some phone calls. I make one of my good friend, Bikash Andava. He's a CEO of Village Roadshow. And I said, Bikash, I need one of your helicopters. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, why? I said, I need to go to the airport. I'm not going to go into the city because there's a hot spot, but I'm going to go to the airport, have this meeting, and come back. He made some phone calls. Then I made some other phone calls. So within, long story short, within 10 minutes, I had a helicopter on my disposal. Just like that? Just like that. That's incredible. And I, w- I just thought, how can I get, I didn't thought that, oh, I'm going to go on a helicopter. I just thought, how can I get there? So financially, it makes sense. So commercially, it makes sense. It's not that I'm, I was going to show off this it's thing. It's not an indulgence. It's exactly. It is a, my way of going to Sunshine Coast, coming back and still picking up my kids from school at 3.30. How the hell I can do all this stuff? Because we got a three months old and my wife, she screams, like my, my kid screams in the car when she's in the car. The only way I can do this in this world is basically having a helicopter. So when that thought crossed my mind, Scott, he's an amazing guy, Scott, from the Heli Tours on the Gold Coast in, in Marina Mirage. So I called Scott. I'm like, Scott, what are you doing? He's like, well, nothing much. There's no, no tourism. I said, do you fancy going to Cologne to come back? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he goes, I'll fly myself. Let's go. We'll have a chat. So I parked my car in Rio Mirage, flew to, to Caloundra, the airport, didn't go in the city. And um, had a meeting, closed the deal. So uh, my drive-through is, is good. So no, the competition is chasing that side because that's where that, I'm a storm chaser. I did the same thing in the bronze plane. Wherever there is a case, I'm there. You're onto it. I'm onto yeah. it. Yeah, okay. Yep. If you're a big picture problem solver, one of the big issues that we have in the education sector is trying to get international students back. You talked about... Yep international students and and the incredible sacrifices they make to get here how do we open the borders how do we get them back Kovacs is a is a pandemic management company <laughs> so where's your solution you're the problem solver you I tell me how people, we do it your audience might think we had this conversation already but let me tell you that i have already submitted a plan to minister hunt regarding opening the borders for international students that's a very very close topic to me we have some plans. We have caught up with the Airport Authority of Australia, James Goodman and his team in Canberra. We've also like, I've spoken to Alfred about this as well in the study Gold Coast. But from, a, from an Australian point of view, we have few plans how to open borders. If the Indian strain wouldn't have gone that crazy, we, we could have done the solutions by now. Because we have issues with the, the validity of the vaccine happening in India. The vaccine passports, which, which have been which have been proposed at the moment. Um, it, it's a bit controversial within the, within the country, but I think it's a no-brainer for international arrivals that we've got to have some kind of a credibility of their vaccine. We're also going to have a testing routine on the Gold Coast. Uh, no, sorry, on the Gold Coast, sorry, on the in Australian international arrivals with whether we do the IgG, IgM, which is your antibodies, we can test people whether they've been either exposed prior to the virus or they existently carrying. And my medical team will do that. That's their expertise and they will my scientific and medical team. If you see in COVAX, I've got a list of people who look after those things. The idea would be to, yes, open the borders. We have spoken to the Minister Hunt and his team. And this is the analogy I gave. I said, look, we had a 9-11 back in days. And then on the airports, we had people lining up 
their laptops out, stand in a queue, jackets off, belts off, pants off, I don't know what else off, <laughs> and we we checked whether they're carrying anything. Now the enemy is not he's not the enemy is not strapping a bomb. The enemy is actually your citizen, citizen's body carrying a virus. Like the Victorians, the rogue Victorians who drove across the so border in Queensland and shouldn't have done it. Are they are they our enemies? No. Are they trying to get back home? Yes. Have they done something wrong? Yes. So you're not going to treat them as the same thing we're treating terrorists because terrorists kill people, so does virus. So that means that our security at the airport, it can't be just limited to now screen through an X-ray machine. We need to have the health workers trained to screen patients, and that's the program which I call it. So that's my airport screening program, which we are trying to get a pilot site mandated by the federal government or state government to start the trials. We need to have that insurance on our borders before we let the international students come back, even knowing that our universities are bleeding. We need to have a dedicated quarantine system, and I, I kind of agree with Palaszczuk government in that, where they have said that they need a standalone. It's not easy to facilitate that. The, ho- the hotels are not built for quarantine. No, they're not. You know, so the federal government is seriously considering that, and I think things are happening moving forward now, which is great. Once we have the quarantine facilities, we can bring into because we can't do with a tourist because tourists are here for two weeks. You don't want to put them in a hotel quarantine for two weeks, right? It doesn't make sense. So, but international students are going to be here for a year or two, so we can put them in a fourteen-day quarantine, even if they have got the in vaccine. a purpose-built facility. Purpose-built facility. We need that, yeah. uh, and eventually it will happen very soon. Like it is, this conversation is happening as we speak. It has happened on multiple levels. We do want to bring the, the priority group of courses are Australian citizens stuck overseas. That's number one. But number two, we do need to bring those international students back to our country. When you're working with the government departments, if it's a private sector, as I said, the decisions are made pretty fast. There's a lot of compliance. There's a lot of red tape to go through. And I really appreciate that. You've got to do that. That makes Australia an amazing country because we have those checks and balances and it, it leaves the corruption part out. So nobody makes an overnight decision. You go through the different channels of making the decisions. But we are absolutely advocating to the Minister Hunt and his team to put systems in place. The medical systems in place have to be there before we let the international uh, students come in place. And they're going to come from India. They're going to come from China. They're going to come via Singapore. So we need to have either offshore quarantine system or we have testing on site and then the quarantine. We need to have those systems in place before we let. So my prediction, 2022. Are you sure you still don't want to be a politician? <laughs> You're starting to sound like one. <laughs> On cards. <laughs> Manu, it's been an absolute delight and just an eye-opener for me. So many stories I'm sure we could keep telling, but I know that you're a, a man in demand, a very busy man, and I do appreciate you taking the time. So thank you so much for sharing a remarkable journey and one that's, as you say, is far from over, one that's still got a long, long way to go. It'd be very fascinating to see exactly where the road leads for you from here. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And like, this is amazing, the hosting. This is the one of the first I've done. I usually stay away from long conversations uh, just because sometimes I'll say something wrong. I am learning to be politically correct, but uh, <laughs> sometimes I say something and I get in trouble. Uh, but like, thank you so much for having and what an amazing job you guys are doing with the, with the, with the whole setup, with the, even the study Gold Coast and, and, and in, in your CEO, Alfred is amazing. I really like the guy and they, they've got a vision uh, and, and we'll support in whatever shape and form we can from individual point of view and also from COVAX. We are looking to engage multiple agencies to basically... Because one thing you will realize, there's a science to manage pandemic, 
and there's a common sense. You put common sense and science together, that's your solution for pandemic. And that's the advice or my opinion I share in parliament, state and federal level. There's only two pillars of managing pandemic. Science, common sense. That's it. Science and common sense. That's it. Manu makes it sound so easy. But perhaps that's the key ingredient into successful entrepreneurship right there. The ability to make the seemingly difficult relatively easy. Listening to Manu share his amazing journey through these last two episodes, the real interesting facet for me is how often he took chance decisions which turned out to be the right choice at the right time. Maybe that's the real secret to entrepreneurial success. The capacity to not only follow your gut instinct, but the innate ability to know that it's the right move. I guess for most of us, we'll never know. It simply isn't in our nature. If you'd like to follow some of the other remarkable journeys from our student community, you'll find the other episodes in this series at www.studygoldcoast.org.au slash podcast. My name is Trevor Jackson, and I'll catch you next time for Tomorrow is Mine.